guys, Jordan Harbinger here, former host of The Art of Charm and current host of The Jordan Harbinger Show, because I'm really creative with naming my new show, apparently. And now I'm helping out a good friend of mine, Peter Huseth, with his podcast, Millennial Highway. You're listening to Millennial Highway. This is the podcast of your generation. You're on the highway of life, so why not join us in the fast lane? We're here with Jeff Hayden. Uh, this is Millennial Highway, and we will be talking today about Jeff's story and how he rose to success. He's a best-selling author, uh, magazine contributing editor, LinkedIn influencer, and the author of the book, The Motivation Myth. Jeff, how are you today? I'm excellent, Peter. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Um, Jeff, if you could describe what you do and, uh, one sentence, what would that be? Uh, I write. <laughs> I that, would be the, that, that would be the best way to say it. Short and simple. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I do other stuff. I, I do some speaking. Um, I, the writing thing I could flesh out a little bit. I write some stuff that's in my own name. I write for Inc. magazine. I have a book. Um, I have those kind of things, but also, uh, I'm a ghostwriter, so I write books and other stuff that other people put their name on. So I'm a little bit like a contractor. If you hire a contractor to build your house, you have the blueprints and you're going to live in it, but somebody else actually builds it. Right. So you're, if you're one of my clients and you have an idea for a book and you have the sufficient profile in order to be able to sell one, then you hire a guy like me to actually write it, either because you don't have the time or you don't have the skill to do so. Um, and so I write it and turn it over to you and you put your name on it and off you go. Sweet. Yeah. I've always, I've always been interested in ghostwriting because I don't know, I feel like there's this ethical dilemma. About there, there is zero ethical dilemma and I'm going to explain that to you. So if say you run a big company, Say you say you were Steve Jobs, right? Everybody thinks that Steve Jobs did everything at Apple because he's like, you know, the shining example of Apple. But really, he just ran things and he made certain decisions and he, he put certain things in place. But that's a whole large team that creates an iPhone, for instance. And a book is really no different. There are a lot of people that go into writing a book. And as long as, you know, let's say it's your book, say your name is on the book. As long as what's inside the cover represents what you want to say, your perspectives, your viewpoints, your strategies, your tips, whatever it is you're trying to get across, as long as that is what you wanted it to be and you stand behind it, does it matter that other people helped you create it? And that's the same with any product we buy anywhere. So there are people that will say, yeah, but you didn't write it. And I feel like I, you know, that's unfair or that's, you know, bait and switch or something, but it's really not if you stand behind it. Now, if you do the Charles Barkley thing, he, he was famous for at one point, he got criticized for something that was in one of his books. And he said, well, I got misquoted, you know, and people said, wait, how do you get misquoted when you theoretically wrote the book? Right. <laughs> but that is an example where he had a book that he probably didn't even read. Now, if that's the case, well, that's a little bit cheesy, but I could still argue that if you as a reader got value from the book and felt like you learned something, were entertained, were informed, whatever it is that you got out of it, if you felt you got value, that's what matters, not necessarily who wrote it, if that makes sense. Right. No, that, that makes sense. You know, I feel like people can go both ways on it, but at the end of the day, you know, it is a product that you're buying that other right. people contribute to. Yeah. And what matters is the value that you receive from any product that you get. That's what matters. Not necessarily the path that, that it went on to be created. Um, and then the other question people always ask is, you know, 
don't you hate that, you know, a book's out there and it sells really well, but your name's not on it. And I do not care. (laughs) My ego is not tied up in that sort of thing. Uh Um, You know, generating revenue is what matters, not getting credit. Credit doesn't put food on the table, but, but revenue does. So. Right. If you're writing 50 books, you know, like every uh, year, three months, how, whatever your time span is, and you're getting paid a hundred, five hundred. I don't know your charges. Um, and it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. And so you're getting a lot of money based off. Yeah. It. Yeah. And I, I can still feel proud if a book does really well and it hits a bestseller list and my name's not on it. I don't. That's okay. I, I still know I wrote it. You know, I don't need other. I don't need to have. My ego is not tied up in being reflected from other people. If you feel good about what you've done, if you go home and you feel good about what you did, that's what really matters, not whether or not people recognize you for it. I like that a lot. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's really important. That's really something to think about because if you're, you know, you're constantly thinking about what other people, other people are thinking of you, you're just limiting yourself, you know? Sure. Well, and that's great. That's a great career kind of advice or strategy thing. If you go to a job and you are constantly worried about getting feedback and getting praised and getting recognition for everything you do, then when you don't get it, it affects how you perform. But if your sole focus is how do I make sure that I'm doing the best I can and that I'm contributing and that I am providing value, then the external praise you get is just kind of icing on the cake, but you'll feel good every day. And when things seem to be going badly, what comes from inside you is what usually carries you through, not what people give you. Did you, um, I'm just curious, like, did you always uh, think like this or did, did something? No, happen? no, hell no. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm old enough to have uh, I figured it out. I, I like to say that I've, uh, I've made just about every mistake that is possible to make uh-huh. in all sorts of uh, avenues, especially career wise. And we can certainly talk about that. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, some of it you have to sort of figure out. It it would be great if every lesson we could learn, we could learn from someone else and not have to experience the pain of it. Right. Um, but that really is the case. And the sooner you can start to look at something, you know, like say you start a job and you don't think you're getting the feedback that you should be getting, the positive feedback you should be getting. Well, you're probably not going to be able to change the company and how they operate, but you can right. change how you respond to that situation. And you can decide because it is a choice you know, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to decide, I'm going to look at what's important in this job and what I know I'm supposed to get done, what Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to achieve. And I'm going to focus on that. And if I do those things, I get to feel good about myself. And if a year into it, you look and say, you know what, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do truly, not just thinking that you are, but you truly are. And I'm not really getting the recognition I I want or deserve. and, And it doesn't make me feel good about myself. At that point, it's probably time to take a look around and see if there's something else. But early on, if you're not getting that, don't worry. Not, not everyone is going to treat you the way that you want to be treated, but you can always treat yourself the way you want to be treated. And that's the choice that you get to make. Right. I, I agree hundred um, percent. Is that, I, I'm curious. Um, I gotta be honest with you. I haven't read your, your book, the motivation myth. It's all right. It's okay. Um, it's only been out for two days. <laughs> so, you serious? Really? Yeah, it came out on Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, I thought. No, no. You probably saw a lot of stuff because it's a, it's 
I'm, my publisher is Random House. It's one of the largest publishers in the country and really in the world. And, you know, it's one of their feature books. And so they've put a ton of effort into promoting and, and raising awareness. And so you probably saw it around a lot, even though it wasn't actually for sale. And because I don't know, I was looking on Amazon or maybe it wasn't Amazon. I just saw Google and said like the motivation myth. And I looked at your LinkedIn profile, motivation myth. And I was like, oh, this is his best selling book. And not, then, not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. Well, not yet. well, it is on some lists now, now that it is for sale. Um, and it did very well in the pre-order phase, which is increasingly important to publishers because a book that gets lots of pre-orders, like on Amazon, the publisher says, wow, if it's getting this much buzz early on, it'll probably do really well once it's for sale. And they tend to put more marketing behind it. Right. So it's all a part of the game. Um, so how did you, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I'm sure my listeners are curious as well. Like, how did you even get to this point of like best selling status? Like, you know, work hard and do the right things and you'll get there. But like, is there something specific that you followed that allowed you to be, become successful or what you deem successful? Probably the, the best thing that happened to me, it wasn't by choice. Uh, I worked in manufacturing for 20 years and I worked my way up through the ranks and I ran a plant. I had a thousand people that reported to me and you know that was kind of my goal all along was to run a plant. And I got there and after a few years thought, okay, that was my goal, but this isn't what I thought it would be. <laughs> Oftentimes what you strive for is not necessarily what it turns out to be when you get there. Right. And I wanted to do something different and I decided I wanted to write. And so I did that on the side and on weekends and worked a ton to try to get to a point where I thought, okay, I'm not replacing my income, but it's close enough that I can see a future. I'll take a chance on myself. Um, but I did it as a ghostwriter, which is what we talked about, where you write stuff for other people. It wasn't books. It was mostly articles and things like that. But it was a way to generate revenue. And, and the reason that was a fortunate thing for me is that it took me out of that world of a lot of people want to write, but they see writing as expressing themselves and it's all about them. Right. And when you write for other people, you're writing for a client. You're writing for another person. So your job is to please them and their audience. And so that helped me figure out that my job is not to please myself. My job is to meet the expectations and goals of other people. And so that kind of carries through. So when I write for Inc., and I, I average about a million and a half page views a month on Inc., I have a lot of readers there. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't write anything. If it even is a teeny bit self-indulgent, then I cut that out because I realize that, you know, the readers don't care about me. They care about what value I can provide to them. And I keep using that value word, but it is a really important one um, in any aspect of your life. And so they care about what they get out of what I write. So that's my job is to serve readers. And so to answer your question, yes, it is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of slogging away. Um, but it's also always focusing on the end result has to be what benefits other people, not me. And when you do that, the surprising thing is you get what you want by serving other people, if that makes sense. You know, if you do a great job, you typically will rise in your career because of that, not because you were focused on you, but because you were focused on how do I provide value, say, to a company. And the same thing is true with writing or really with anything else you do. You get back things that you don't even have to focus on. Right. And I was, we were talking. I know that sounded a little zen, but, you know, work with No, you. no, no, because that, that goes in line because I've had a, like a few interviews already with uh, like Simon Cohen. Um, mm -hmm. You know who Simon Cohen is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was, uh, I was talking to him the other day and what he was saying, like, 
like for happiness, like even if like strategic happiness to just benefit yourself, you're going to have to help others. Right. That they'll help you in return. Well, that's a, that's probably my favorite leadership lesson uh, that I learned along the way was that if you can decide that your success and your happiness comes from the success and happiness of the people that you are leading, then you will be really effective. If it's all about you as a leader, it's Jack Welch, the uh, ex-GE CEO. Um, he told me one time that he always looked for the what he called the generosity gene in people he was promoting. And it was... His premise was, if you're the kind of person who is always focused on giving and serving the people that work for you, then you will rise and you will get back everything that you need. But if it's all about you as a leader, then it will only be about you and no one will help you and no one will work with you and no one will go with you. Um, so that that whole, if you serve, I know that sounds almost Peace Corps-ish, but I don't mean it that way. But if your job is to come in and every, every day, if you have 10 people that work for you, if your job is to come in, if you see it in your mind, that your job is to come in and help them do the best jobs that they can and help them achieve the goals that you have set for them and they have for themselves. If you do that, you're going to get so much farther than if all you care about is, okay, what do I need to do today to get myself promoted? I got a question for you. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm a selfish bastard. All right. I'm always thinking about myself and, okay. I'm, and I, I try to, I do it subconsciously, you know, and like, what's, what's a tip for me or, or other people that are either selfish and they don't know it or selfish and they don't know it, you know? Um, well, first of all, everybody is their self-interest. There is nothing wrong with self-interest. I'm not saying that you have to just give without, you know, ever hoping that anything will come back to you. That, that's not the point. The point is though, that if you look at something you want to do, like you want your podcast to help a lot of people and right. you also want it to be successful. Exactly. The only way you're going to do that is by doing what you're doing right now. You're going to try to invite people. Hopefully I'm a reasonably decent guest, but you're going to try to invite people who, you know, want to talk about their ideas and their stuff that also helps your audience. You're going to help them. You're going to help your audience and that will build your show. If all you do is sit there and talk to your mic and talk about yourself and your day and your dreams and your hopes and your goals and your aspirations and all that stuff, no. if it's all about you, nobody's going to care. So you, the most selfish thing you can do in a weird way, work with me, is to say, I'm going to do this for other people because that's going to get me the farthest. That, so that's always, to me, then your tip would be, if you look at the situation and say, okay, what do I want out of this? Figure out what that is and then say, okay, what's my best, best path to get there? And the best path to get there is almost never to focus solely on yourself. You got to be open to how do I actually pull this off? Like for instance, I'll give you an example. I write for Inc. And we often, or I often write about companies, either startups or entrepreneurs, and they've got new ideas or they've got new products or things like that. And, you know, they want the coverage because publicity helps them. But I never do just like a company profile where it's like, you know, I don't know, let's pretend you make shirts. You know, these, these shirts are awesome and it's great. And here's why they're wonderful. You know, that whole self-promotional thing that that's what the company wants. I get to the founder and say, OK, tell me something you learned from creating this or building this company what mistakes did you make what stuff did you do wrong what what can people learn from and if they give me that and we base the article on that then 
people get value from it. They get something they can take away. And in the process, they think, you know, that guy was pretty smart. That was pretty neat. I ought to check out that. I ought to check out his shirts. It, you get to bask in the reflected glow of your experience and your wisdom and not just shove it down people's throats. People are really, really quick to sniff out anything that's self-promotional. You know, if there's even a hint of, yeah, I'm really doing this because it's all about me, we, we pick that up instantly. But if you are helping people, then they turn around and say, you know, that was pretty cool. So like with you, somebody listens to your podcast and they get value from it and they say, you know what? When I get my first job, this is what I'm going to focus on doing. So they're going to think well of you and they're going to think well of what you do. And that's what's going to grow your audience. That's interesting because I think like when I first started promoting the stuff like on Facebook and on my social media pages, I was kind of like, hey, guys, look at me. I'm starting a podcast. You know, it was, right, it was right. just the ego thing. Yeah. And it was kind of like I'm coming up and I'm, and I'm doing well now and I'm not as you know, and I, I realized that I, I'm like, okay, why, why am I not getting this many likes? You know, th- this, this should be amazing. You know, everyone should be liking this. Right. And like my goal at the time was just to boost it, you know, and make right. profit, whatever. And profit comes as a result, but right. I've learned that that's not the reason I'm doing this. It's because I want to help people. Like I want to inspire. And that, that was the sole original reason for all of this. So yeah, your, your promotion would be, you know, let's say you had me on and we were talking about, I don't know. Cause I, I know a lot about this, but like the first five things you should do when you start a new job, let's say that was our topic and we're going to flesh that out for people. That's what you should promote because that's the benefit to your listener. That's what they care about. And then you by extension will come across really well because you provided value to them. And I know, again, we're back to that value word, but the best way to promote yourself is actually not to promote you, but to promote things that help other people. Okay, let's let's take a break real quick and, and uh, uh, sure. give you some ideas. It won't be too long. Um, Jeff Hayden, if you're just tuning in and... We're having an awesome show, so uh, listen up. <laughs> uh, Jeff, so we were kind of talking uh, before the break about how to, you know, how to maybe start a new job. Um, what tips, tricks, or advice do you have towards college students or recent grads um, that get into the job that they love, you know, without even, you know, with, if they don't have that experience yet on what they like to do, how do they get that experience to realize what they want to do? You know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a tricky one and it, it takes time. And so the first step would be to realize that you're not going to know what you want to do and you're not going to figure it out right away. And it's going to take some missteps along the way. And that's okay. See that as part of that process. Don't expect that you're going to come out right away and figure out your life's course because you won't. And because actually you don't want to, because do you really want to do the same thing for like 40 years? I, I don't know very many people that do. Um, so let's say you've gotten a new job and you want to get off to a really good start. This will sound a little high level, but kind of work with me. The first thing you want to do, and you're probably not going to be told this, the first thing you want to do is really understand how the business creates value. So wherever you've gone, if you've gone into a company, they're going to tell you what to do, but you don't necessarily know how that contributes to the business's primary goal. So, you know, if quality is their thing, 
that's your focus. If it's sales, if it's customer service, it, whatever it may be, there is one, there are one or two things that really create value for that business. And you want to figure that out so that then you can start to put yourself in positions where you're showing those skills and you're getting recognized by the people that do that. So let's say it's a startup and they don't have a lot of capital and so they need lots of sales and sales is a huge focus. Anything you can do, even if you're not in sales, that assists or that helps with the sales process is the perfect place for you to be dipping into because that's what's going to be recognized and that's what that company needs. Uh, so I know that sounds kind of high level, but look past whatever you're told to do and look at what really matters and drives results and try to ease yourself into that area, whether it's informally just by helping out or whether it's, you know, when I get a chance to transfer, that's where I'm going to go. Um, and usually you'll get the best training and the best opportunities that way too, because it matters to people. The next thing I would do is look around and just say, okay, I have a boss and maybe I have one or two people that whatever I do feeds to. But who, who does my work affect in a broader sense? And look at that and say, okay. And the best word to use for that is constituents, like the people that you are affecting. Who are all those people? And then how can I make sure that what I do affects them positively and flows to them in the right way? And if you have a hard time figuring that out, the best thing to do is ask. So if there's there are reports that you create that go to a certain person, Go over and say, hey, I'm, I'm creating these and I was told to do it this way, but is there stuff I should do differently? Is there something you'd rather see? Is there a way you would rather see it? Not only do you provide better, I'm going to use value again, but not only do you provide better value to them that way, you also get seen as a person who's collaborative rather than just transactional. And that is a huge thing. And then I'll just give you one more. You were hired in all likelihood for some reason. Maybe it's your education, maybe it's what you focused on, maybe it's some other skills that you have, but there's something that the company wants you to do that you can do well or you'll be trained to do well. And the key is to be really focused on doing that really well because there are one or two things about you that will make you different from other people. Focus on those because that's how you stand out. So if it's uh, this will sound really cheesy, but if it's working more hours than other people, cool. If it's being the person that always volunteers, that's kind of a double cool because, you know, volunteers typically win. They do more work, but they typically win in the long run. But don't ever lose sight of what makes you different and special because there are things that do. That's why you're hired and that's why you're going to succeed. And so don't drift off into other things that seem like nice to do because you'll end up just being like everybody else. Um, what, like, how, how do you know, um, and this probably comes with experience and like, as you get older and everything, but say you don't know why you're special or why you're different than everyone else, you know, why, what's gonna, you know, what, how do you, how do you get to that point to figure it out? You know, it's not like you can just tell your brain and it's not like a computer where you just type in what is different, you know? Well, when you come out of school, you're in a class and you're in classes and it's, it's very different. But once you start working at a company and you're in a group, you'll be in some sort of group, even if it's just a group of or two or three, but you'll, you'll have your kind of co-working group. Be really objective and look around and watch what other people do. It's just in the natural course of your day and see what they do really well. You'll pick it out pretty quickly if you're watching. 
and then say, okay, that's what they do. And it'll come to you fairly quickly as well. What stuff you can do better than they can, you know, either it's how you handle a certain situation or if it's some product you create or some process that you do, you'll figure it out pretty quickly if you're looking around and you should always be looking around if nothing else, just so you can see areas where you can help other people. Cause that's a key thing. Um, you can find it really quickly. Don't expect it to be the first day. But within the first, the first, say, two weeks, if you haven't started to see, okay, I'm better at this than that person, and she's better at this than me, and here's an area I'm weak, and here's an area I'm strong. If you haven't started to identify those things, then I, I don't know how else to say this, but I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> because if you're just so blind that all you're going to do is put your head down and do your work and then go home at the end of the day, that's going to be the person you are for the rest of your career. So... Just look around. I mean, we're really good at that. I'm sure you've had classes where you look around and you can pick out the people that are always prepared, that always know what to say, that always do better than others. And you can pick out the ones that aren't. It's the same thing where you go to work. You just have to be objective about how you rank within all that. And that's really hard to do because there's research that shows, this is a really dumb statistic, but if you, if you survey people and say, would you consider yourself an above average driver or a below average driver? Like 80% of the people will consider themselves above average, which of course is impossible, <laughs> you know, right. it can only be 50, uh, but people tend to overrate themselves. So I guess that would be my final piece of advice with starting a new job. Go in with the idea that you are going to underestimate your capabilities so that you will look and say, you know, I need to get better at that. I need to get better at that. As long as you're growing, then you will succeed. But if you get to the place where you think, wow, I'm really good, well, then you stop growing because you don't have a reason to. Okay. Um, I was kind of, th- I was thinking about this and when what you're saying kind of like, it's kind of bring me to reality a little bit about, cause I used to have this thought like, and I, maybe this does have some validity or um, maybe I'm just completely wrong and I'm probably just completely wrong. <laughs> But I used to think, like, if you believe that you're the best, you know, in the world, you may not, it may not work that way to other people. But if you have that kind of belief, then you're going to become that. But I don't know if you, because what you're saying is more to, like, look what other people are doing and try to, like, collaborate and share and help them. I, I don't even know if I'm going to put this a segment on the uh, podcast, but what, what do you think about that idea? Um, I, I do think that you, you need to be confident in your ultimate potential. That one I'll go with thanking, thanking to yourself. I may not be very, very good at this now, but I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to persevere and I'm going to learn and I'm going to get to a really good place. That's a positive thing that you should be telling yourself. And if you're not, well then why are you doing anything? But as far as evaluating where you are, there's no and I, I'm lucky enough that I get to talk to some incredibly successful people and none of them feel like they have arrived. And I put air quotes around that. Like, um, I don't know, it's probably a band you're not familiar with, but Metallica, Kirk Hammett is. I know Metallica. Okay. So Kirk, I, I'm talking to Kirk Hammett and I was talking about, you know, albums and stuff they've done or whatever. And he was talking about a certain solo he did on one of the albums. And I, he said he wasn't very happy with it. And I said, you know, how often does that happen that you look back and go, wow, I wish I could do that over again. He said, every time. So here's a guy, they so they've sold a hundred million albums. They still sell out 50,000 seat stadiums, 40 years into a career. And he's looking back and saying, 
you know, I have never done anything that I'm really satisfied with. And that would go against the theory of, wow, I'm the best, I'm awesome, I'm whatever that's going to get you to that place. But what it does is it keeps you in that constant mindset of, I need to get better. As long as you're doing that, then you're doing great. Richard Branson is the same way. Clearly, he's a successful guy. Venus Williams, talk to her. She cannot tell me a single match that she has had where she thought she played anywhere near as well as she is capable of playing. And so that's why, you know, she's almost 20 years into a career, which is unheard of with tennis players. Right. And she's still, I think she's top five in the world still, and she still works at it because, yes, she's succeeded. And so I guess the, the point there is that if you compare yourself to other people and you reach a certain level of success, you can start to feel like you've arrived and that, wow, I'm great. I don't need to work anymore. But if you compare yourself to what you want to be, then you will always be working at it. Like the, the, the one I'm thinking of now is like, okay, so Eminem, and I don't know if you listen to Eminem, yeah. but he's like in his songs, you know, he's pretty provocative about this. And, uh, but he basically says, you know, I'm like never enough. It's not enough. And he's right. like one of the legends of like the rap industry. And he's yep. like, Oh, I still gotta be better. I gotta be better than Tupac. I'm not even at their level yet. You know? And it's, he's always striving. And I mean, I was trying to get him on the show. I called up shady records uh, the other day and I was just, good, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so I am. If you get it, you let me know. Cause I, I would like that. He, there's a really cool, there's a podcast called broken record. And it's done by Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell, the tipping point guy. And Eminem is the feature on that. And he basically talks about how, you know, yeah, I I thought I was really great early on. And I, you know, had a lot of success or whatever. But, you know, lately, and I guess that's part of the subject of his new album, he's not even sure he's relevant anymore. And he's not sure he has anything to say that anybody wants to hear. And so that self-doubt and that, wow, am I any good anymore? And do I have anything to say and all that stuff? I mean, here's a guy that you just described as he's a superstar. And yet he's sitting around saying, wow, have I become nobody? (laughs) Which seems bizarre, but is probably why he works as hard as he does. Because it's, you know, it's it's that self-evaluation, not just looking around and saying, wow, people pat me on the back all the time and invite me into the VIP section, so I must be awesome. Right. Yeah, it, it's weird thinking about that. Um, yeah, I, but it's, a, it's actually a healthy thing. You know, there are people that would say that if you're that self-critical, that it's unhealthy. But as long as you have it in perspective to say, yes, I have done some really cool things, but you know what, I want to get better. And then if you look back at your accomplishments and use those as confidence builders to say, you know, when I worked hard, I did really good things. That was cool. So as long as I keep working hard, I will accomplish more good things. If you do it that way, then it works really well. You don't have to feel defeated because you haven't gotten to where you want to be because you can look back and realize that I can come a long way. And that means I can go farther. Exactly. Um I know, I know you got to go here soon. Um, do you want to give, give us, give us a sneak peek about what your new book, the motivation myth is about or just a little. Sure. The, the premise was, and, and I'll use Venus as an example. Um, the idea was that I was talking to Venus and, you know, she was talking about tennis and she has a variety of other pursuits she's in. She runs a design company. She does has a fitness clothing company where she designs the clothes. She does all sorts of stuff. And at no point did she ever say, wow, I had this lightning bolt moment 
where I realized that I wanted to be a tennis player and that was going to give me all the motivation I needed for my whole life, or I wanted to be this or that. Really, she just looked around and said, that looks interesting. I would like to try that. And then she started to work at it. And what happens is when you work at something and you get a little bit better, that makes you feel good. You like that success, even if it's a tiny one, and that gives you motivation to keep trying. And so I contrasted that with all the people that I talk to that feel stuck or that don't know where to start or that don't know how to get off their ass and do something. And they're waiting for that lightning bolt. Right. And that lightning bolt is not going to come to you. So the whole motivation myth thing is that somehow from some outside force, you'll get all the motivation you need to do something. Mm-hmm. You can actually create your own motivation by trying something, working at it, achieving a little bit of success, just even tiny things, feeling good about it, and that will motivate you to keep going. And you can create this virtual cycle of effort, success, gratification, motivation, and it keeps going. And then the other part about it that I think is important for your audience is that many of the people that I talk to that are incredibly successful are what I would call serial achievers. So they're people that are really good at one thing, but then they've also done another thing and they've also done another thing. And so, especially for your audience, if you're looking around and saying, you know, what do I want to do? What career do I want to, what path do I want to follow? What things do I want to get involved in? You don't have to look and say, I need to figure out what I will do for the next 40 years. Do something, spend four or five years at it, get really good at it. If you like it and want to follow it on, Great. If you say, you know what, that was really cool, but I'm a little bit burnt out or I'm a little bit bored with this. I think I would like to do something else instead. That's cool. You can collect all those achievements along the way. And it's not wasted time if you switch because everything that you learned and grew from and developed in becoming good at one thing, you carry all that stuff over to the other. one, And you actually, as time goes by, you're not afraid to try something new because you can look back and say, yeah, but I didn't know a thing about X when I first started. And look how good I got at that. So I can do this. It's just a matter of time and effort and applying myself. And that's, that's you know, confidence is a huge thing. And the best way to be more confident is to work hard and achieve a little bit of success because that's true confidence. That's not the fake look in the mirror, you know, raise your fist, I am awesome, I will have a great day kind of confidence. That's the, that's the quiet kind of, you know, I know how to do this. <laughs> I don't, know how to do, I don't know how to do whatever this is yet, but I know how to work and learn and grow and achieve. I know how to do that. So I'm, I'll do that this time. And I think, would you agree that because you're, you're, you're achieving a little bit of success and you're changing things up and going after something you don't really know about, but you're interested, would you say that by switching over, you're kind of keeping yourself entertained, which makes absolutely not work. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing, the, the fun part about any learning something new is that first stage where it seems to come like the stuff comes really quickly and you realize that, wow, I've gotten that much better. You know, if you're trying to run a marathon and you can't run any, you've never run the first time you managed to run five miles, you're like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, how awesome is this? And that gives you that motivation to keep going. Whereas once you've run four or five marathons and you get ready to train for another one, it's, I don't know how you are about language on your show, but it's kind of like same shit different day. <laughs> and so that's the point where you might look around and say, and if you get to that point, you look around and say, you know, that's cool. But I think I'd like to do that and go do that. Right. So life, life is ultimately a series of experiences. 
And the more of them you open your up to or yourself up to, and the more that you throw yourself into them, the happier you will eventually be. And our goal, I think, is to end up on your front porch when you're 85 years old and your life is about done and be able to look back and say, you know what? I don't really have any regrets in terms of the things that I wanted to do and never did. You know, you don't want to look back and say, wow, I wish I had. Very few of my regrets are things I did. I mean, I've, I've made some mistakes, but you can fix those. But you cannot fix never having tried. Right. 